some spirit in us and guide our hands, our hearts in this world. Okay, my name's Adrian, if you don't know me, I'm going to take us through uh, the next part of our morning as we uh, conclude, for those of us who are regulars here, you'll know we've been in this, a series that we entitled uh, The Centred Playlist, a playlist like no other that we've said that we want to seek to live with because we understand that as we live with this playlist, it will not only do us good but also we're understanding that we'll actually do all good who come into contact with us. And this playlist is like no other. It's not consisting of every track we ever heard in the whole of our life, but rather three tracks, three simple tracks with unbelievable depth and complexity, three tracks we've been examining over the last kind of seven, eight weeks. And the first track, if you remember, was that track of loving God, understanding that actually The whole of who we are is built and centered around this amazing fact that God is love. And out of his love for us, out of the overflow of his love, he causes our identity, our value, who we are to be defined by his love. And so we kind of looked at it and each of them each week has had a kind of little symbol so we can remember what we're talking about. And we said that actually loving God is all about the mirror. It's all about understanding when we look in the mirror, who we see is who God has defined us to be. And that we live fundamentally different, not as those that therefore just live gazing in the mirror forever, thinking, man, look how wonderful I am, but rather those that then carry the mirror wherever we go, understanding that we're those that are defined by the mirror, but also want to seek others to see how good the mirror is and how good this God who is love is. So that was the first track. The second track was that track of loving the world, which we said was all about the canvas. That God in his love for the whole of the world doesn't just settle in changing our lives individually, but rather that his heart and burden is actually to transform the whole of the world, the whole of the universe. And he's going to do that through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And if you think, man, how on earth is that going to happen? Go back online, www.theoasischurch.com, and listen to this one, as it will show and reveal everything of how God's going to do that. But actually, he catches us up in this amazing canvas that he's painting, that is about the renewal and restoration of everything that allows us to then be part of this canvas. Not as those who just look and say, man, isn't it amazing? But rather those that can pick up our paintbrushes and actually start to add the colors in the world that reveal just the wonder of who God is and how he desires to change the whole of the world. So we seek to love the world. And then lastly, last week we started off looking at, we're going to continue this morning, is the last track, Loving Home. 
And home's the word that we use to describe who we are gathered together as church. We just recognize that sometimes that word church, we're not scared of it, we like using it. But sometimes it can come with so many different connotations that actually when we want to reveal what we mean by church, we use the word home because suddenly that means something that is about somewhere that's familiar, somewhere that we belong to. And so we came on last week to say, actually, our home's like no other. Because who we are together isn't an organization or a business or something. It's actually that we are a body. And if you remember, last week we looked at the wonder of our home. The wonder of home around four Bs, hence why there's a big giant B there. Not a buzzing one, but just a capital letter one. And in it we looked at four Bs that allow us to see the wonder of who we are together. That we are at home in a body. A body that isn't any old body, it's the body of Jesus. As we saw it, that actually now on earth we are Jesus. An unbelievable privilege. That in that, as we are now part of his body on earth, here now locally in Oasis, that actually we then get to understand that we're belonging to him. But we also belong to one another. That being part of his body reveals that sense of depth of relationship and connection we have both with him, Jesus, but also one another. We then say that actually also reveals that be of home that is beauty. A beauty that's revealed in the fact that we aren't all the same. Actually, we just to look around the room and see, man, we're diverse, we're different. And that's part of the beauty of who God is, that he catches a load of people up together and connects them and says, actually, my beauty is revealed through you, being my body on earth, through your diversity. We also saw that beauty is revealed through our scars, through the fact that we don't hide our past, but rather reveal that actually Jesus has healed us and is in the process of restoring us. And so different ones of us wear scars, not in kind of hidden shame, but rather of saying, actually, this is what God has done. In order that others of us who come amongst us and say, actually, there's this stuff that I've had happen, get to understand that Jesus even wants to change us in that place, to free us from our guilt and our shame, to cause us to know his healing, in order that we begin to understand that we too can know our scars to be a place of beauty. And then lastly, we saw that B is about being based. That actually when we gather together, we're not any old bunch of people. We're a place where God promises he wants to dwell. He wants to come and dwell uniquely. He wants us to be a bunch of people who reveal who Jesus is to the rest of the earth. He wants us to live, understand that whenever we gather together, we're calling others to come in and say, hey, you want to know who Jesus is, who lived, dies and rose again? Well, come along here. Because when we gather together, that's what you're going to see. As we saw the wonder last week of who we are as home together through four Bs. And this morning, I want to kind of end the series in two ways. One, I want to kind of continue to look at who we are as home together, still around the letter B. But I also want to then, at the end, kind of say, well, where do we go next then? Because the point isn't that we kind of end up thinking, oh, yeah, there was those three kind of weird images and three tracks, and oh, yeah, it was a kind of a fun kind of center playlist, kind of slightly hip and in for the kind of 2014 arena. And then we get on with the rest of our life. But rather, we want to land it in a way that causes us to be changed forever uh, as a bunch of people and as together as a church. So that's where we go. But to start off with, let's get back to home, this track. I say, what does it look like then to love home? And I want to just look briefly at two other Bs. Two Bs that, to be honest, uh, start with the same word, but have two different words following them, as we're going to see. And the first one's this. 
But before we get there, I should probably read you a passage tonight so we can all say, actually, he does sometimes look at the Bible because the Bible's good to look at because it generally causes us to discover who we are. And so what we'll do is we'll read the bit of the Bible first, then we'll get into some bees. Um, the bit of the Bible I want to look at is the continuation of Paul's explanation of the wonder of what it looks like to be the body of Jesus on earth. Remember, as we looked at last week, Paul was forever changed. In his first encounter with this risen Jesus, on the road to Damascus, looking to actually crush anyone who said they believed in this risen Jesus. And then he encounters Jesus and finds that Jesus calls him and says, Saul, Saul, that's what his name was at that point, why do you persecute me? At that point, Saul's life was forever changed. One is because he suddenly realized the wonder of who the risen Jesus is. But two, he realized the wonder of who the bunch of people on earth were who had centered their lives around Jesus. Who the church was wasn't any old bunch of people. It was the body of Jesus. That what got done to the church is what got done to Jesus. And therefore, for Paul, he always lived with this deep sense of understanding of the wonder of what the body is. And looking at the human body and saying, oh, that allows us to understand what the church is. And so 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 27, we're going to look at. And this kind of builds continuously on this theme of the body. This is what Paul writes. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts... But all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker and are indispensable and the parts that we think are less honourable, we treat with special honour. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body. But that's its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honoured, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. For me, this is probably one of the scriptures that I've read that has transformed everything that I think about who we are as a bunch of people. See, we aren't any old bunch of people. It isn't like it's kind of a church is a gathered bunch of people around someone who stands at the front and they think, oh, well, he's amazing. It's not that at all. It's a bunch of people who only exist because they're together and because they understand that actually they uniquely all add to the wonder and beauty of who they are together. And Paul uses an illustration that every one of us can get hold of. He uses, oh, who are you? Are you like a body? And just like a body has loads of different parts to make it function, so it is with you. And as last week we looked at the wonder of the body, and just looking at it, man, this is what we're part of. Isn't it amazing? The thing is, a body is amazing, but it's even more amazing when it has life within it. 
If you're just looking at a, a kind of skeleton, you think, well, it's kind of interesting, but, you know, it's just there hanging. When you have a body that's moving, breathing, speaking, living, you think, that's amazing. It's alive. That when you come to a home, if you go in and you think well, there's nothing going on here, everything looks like it's all in order, it's kind of a show home, and you think, oh, well, I wouldn't mind those in my own home, but you know, no one lives here, it's got no life, it's a bit like a museum. At that point you think, actually it is a bit like a museum, it's very clinical, everything is in its place, no one's ever kind of put their feet anywhere. There's no way that this house could be that clean. If it was a real home, we think, actually this isn't real. Because home has to have life in. And that's what this passage is all about. It's all about saying, actually, who we are together is about life. The life of how we live in it together. Which gets us back to the two Bs. Because all of you are thinking, but what are those Bs? What are those Bs? The first one's this. It means that it's all about building in. That actually, the beauty of who we are together needs every single one of us to build in to who we are together. It means that actually for us to fully cause others to see the wonder of who Jesus' body is on earth, it needs us to play our part. It means that no one can say, actually, it doesn't matter about me. No, it matters about all of us. See, in building in, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this, just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its part, many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. It means that we need to understand, firstly, that actually the fact we're all sat here is important. <laughs> it means it's because we're all here, it causes us to actually, this is a conscious decision we've made to say, I want to be built into this. Now, some of us are maybe sat there thinking, but actually, I don't even know what I'm built into yet. But the fact we're sat here is saying, actually, we're on this journey of wondering, could we be part of something? For others of us, we think, man, I sit here not just because it's Sunday morning, but because I know I belong here. Therefore, I've got a part to play. And therefore, I want to be built in. But in that building in, we need to ensure that we don't do a couple of things. And Paul wants us to ensure that we don't do a couple of things. The first one's this, that we don't dismiss. Verse 15, now if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. The deal is this. And I think this is the one that robs us, let's not talk theoretically about other churches, let's just talk about ourselves, that robs us more than anything else in who we can be together is the fact that you and I can dismiss who we are in this body. That we can think, man, who I am and what I have to offer, actually, it doesn't really matter Compared to others, man, I, man, I'm just nothing. I'm like a, a little toe compared to other people who seem to be like the ears and the eyes. And we can find ourselves just dismissing who we are and kind of what we do and think, man, it, it doesn't really matter. Would anyone mind if I didn't bother turning up? Because actually, it, it, it does make no difference or even difference. And Paul wants us to understand we must never dismiss who we are. Because actually who we are adds value to who we are together. You see, we need to continuously go back to track one, loving God, and come back to the mirror and understanding that actually who we are is defined by God and his love for us. 
And that actually out of that place, we realize that, yeah, I do belong here. And the simple fact is, regardless of my current circumstances, regardless of my background, actually, I have something to add into the wonder of who we are together because of who I am. And that then, in understanding who I am, defined by God, I realize that God has made me in this unique way that causes me to have these unique gifts, which we'll go on to see in a moment. And those gifts aren't to be dismissed, but rather add value to who the wonder of who we are together. So Paul says, don't dismiss yourselves. Also, don't diminish others. Paul writes this, verse 21, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. I don't think this is as big an issue in Oasis, but I still think we need to be aware of it. Because within us, because we're human, can always be that sense of how do I compare to others? How do I stack up with others? And if we're not careful, we can, in the end, start to have this sense of judgment of others. Judgment because of their background. Judgment because of their intellect. Judgment because of um, their current circumstances. And we start to say, actually, well, no, who I am is, is I'm like this, and I like really matter. Man, if people really know the kind of influence I have in the world, they kind of know that I'm someone to listen to. No, I'm like the crown on the head. Not like simply just a bit of the body. I'm the crown. Who are they? They should be making sure I have a better space in the car park. They should be making sure there's a definite chair and the coffee's really good. It should be there waiting for me to come in if they really understood who I am. I can live with that. See, man, I'm something above them. Paul says, no, no, no. You never diminish anyone else. You never say, oh, oh, compared to them, I'm something. Actually, you suddenly realize that actually, no, the only reason you're something is because you are with them. The only reason this body works is because we all play our part. We all have our part. We all are who we are. And because of who I am, because of who you are, it governs who we are together. Therefore, Paul says, Man, don't allow yourself to entertain that moment of dismissing yourself. The moment of saying, oh man, who am I? Rather, continuously go back and say, oh no, this is who I am. And don't allow yourself to diminish others. Continuously come back to there and says, say, oh yeah, this is who I am because of God's grace. And this is who everyone else is because of, their, of God's grace. So then what is it that we do do then? In building in, well, I'd say it's two things. Paul writes this, verse 18, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. In other words, God has uniquely, sovereignly, in his divine wisdom, placed you and I together. I, maybe you're thinking, really? <laughs> I'd have probably done it a bit differently. Okay, you might have done, but let's just trust that God's got this one under control. I kind of, kind of trust him with my salvation. I trust him with the fact that he can get this whole world that is broken and however much I try and do stuff, I seem to make a mess of it. He seems to find a way to reconcile everyone, everything. Then if I can trust him with that, maybe I can trust him with the church. Maybe I'm going to trust him with home, who we are together, that actually he's going to connect us together because actually he understands that we need one another. 
And that we each have something to give in, to build in to who we are. And therefore, it means that we need to do two things in light of that. We need to be good at giving and good at receiving. We need to be good at giving in respect to sharing who we are. Sharing of who we are. Our story so far, our our hopes for the future, just living, sharing who we are. We also need to be good of not only sharing who we are, of what defines us, what's made us up to this point, but also sharing the gifts that God's given us. Seeking to give in and add in what we've got to offer. Now, for each of us, it will look different because we're all at different life stages. For some of us, we think, man, the thing that I've got is loads of time because I've got more time on my hands. For others of us, we're thinking, I can't even believe you're saying that, Adrian. I have no time whatsoever. But the beauty is because God connects us, it works. Because we all add in the beauty of what we've got to add in. I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's organizing. Maybe it's what you do as a job. Maybe it's the way that you're practically minded. Maybe it's because you're creative. Maybe it's you're good at welcoming others. Maybe it's you're good at opening up your home. But for each of us, as we add in what we're gifted at, the stuff that we just do, which we think, man, doesn't everyone do this? And everyone looks at us and thinks, no. And we think, well, it just seems so easy. Well, yeah, that's because God's gifted you in it. And we benefit as we all add in, as we all build in what God's given us, both who we are as individuals, but the gifts that we've got. And so we give in, but also we seek to receive. See, this is really important, because if we only ever give, then actually, who's ever going to receive if we're not good at receiving as well? So you have to be both good at saying, I'm going to open up my life to everyone. I'm going to add in what I've got to add in. But also we're going to be good at saying, actually, I'm going to receive what other people have got for me. I'm going to allow other people into my life. I'm going to allow other people to stand with me, as we're going to go on to see. I'm going to allow other people to serve me. I'm going to allow other people to do me good. Which means that sometimes we have to be those that step up and say, I need to receive. But also that we come, whenever we're gathering together, say, man, I'm here to give and to receive. I think as we do that, it builds something that is absolutely amazing and starts to provide something of real life. So the first B we're looking at today is that of building in. The other one is building up. See, this life that we're to live together isn't just what we're adding in. It's also how we're encouraging the wonder of who we are together, of how we seek to build one another up. And Paul kind of allows us through this passage, I'm going to look at another one as well, to see some significant ways that we can seek to build one another up. The first one's this, by standing with one another. He says this, if one part suffers, verse 26, every part suffers with it. Here's the deal, and we're not going to practically demonstrate this, though I know some of you would love to. If you were to smack me in the face, I don't know, you could punch me if you want, you can slap me, scratch me, whatever you want to, however you feel it's going to most release most of what you wanted to release to me. Uh, maybe you're just going to come and stroke me, because you think, oh no, I, don't want to. I could never hit you, Adrian. I'll stroke you. And whatever it is, whatever you do to my face, I promise you I will feel. Actual fact, if you should jump on my foot really hard, and you're going to like go bang, heel on. I don't know, you think, I'm, I don't even wear heels. I'm going to wear heels today to step on your foot. 
right on. I promise you the whole of my body is going to be feeling it. Paul says that's what it's going to be like. They're going to be the kind of bunch of people that when one part's suffering, actually all of us feel it. We're not indifferent to it. See, here's the deal. Stuff happens. If you've been sold this lie that is, if you follow Jesus, your life will be like a boat trip on a lazy river, that was rubbish. Jesus never promised that. The whole of the New Testament doesn't promise that. What it promises is, regardless of how rough the river gets, Jesus is never going to bail on you. And you're never going to drown. That's what the promise is. And therefore, because stuff happens, we need to understand that we need to be there for one another. It isn't that we're indifferent to one another. It isn't that we live there for this body of thinking, well, we're kind of connected, we kind of belong together, but when stuff happens, we kind of just kind of put the rug over it and forget it, or we don't mention it. Rather, we ensure that we're standing with one another when stuff happens, which means that we have to do a few things. Firstly, it means that we have to be quick to talk about it. It means that we have to lose that mask. Do you know that mask that I'm talking about? You know the one that happens in the car park where you meet someone and you say, how are you? I'm all right. <laughs> if I say it, <laughs> nice enough, Grim, they believe me, all right. And when in actual fact, we just think, man, I nearly ran someone over on the way here because I was so preoccupied with all the rubbish that's going on in my life at the moment. If you genuinely knew that it took everything in my body to get me out of bed this morning just to be here because actually I just feel like life is going down the pan. I can't possibly say that in the car park. And it's way easier to say it in the car park than it is in the lobby, isn't it? This, we have to live that sense of reality. It isn't that we make it up. It isn't like, oh yeah, I better make up some stuff because actually life's pretty good today. I don't want everyone to feel a bit kind of like my life's really good. I know, I'll make it up. Oh no, life's really bad today. No, we just live real. We just don't live with masks on. We don't live with that sense of, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right. All right. High five. No, it's that we live with that deep sense of understanding. Man, we stand with one another. We're like a body. When one part suffers, all parts suffer. So therefore, we need opportunities to stand with. So we are honest with one another. We live in reality. Now, the reality is with that, that we can't tell everyone. We can't like arrive and think, right, let's form a line. And somehow we're going to walk across each other. And we're going to say, how are you? And we're going to spend four hours just doing that. How are you? Oh, well, this is what's going to happen. At the end of the day, we're going to have a small group of people that we can connect with who can know us intimately. However, in that, it allows us to know that we're still connected to something bigger that allows us to stand with one another. So we live sharing the reality of our lives. But we also live listening to the reality of others' lives. And we listen actively. We listen saying, what's it going to look like for me to stand with this individual now? And so we seek to be those who live standing with. But it isn't just that we live standing with. Can I also say just a quick note on this? I think it's really important because Paul actually highlights this. It's this that... Um, Sometimes to stand with someone means that we protect rather than parade. Can I just explain what I mean by that? Because that would just seem like I've come with a jazzy kind of phrase for me to remember something. Sometimes there's stuff going on in people's lives, and it just means that they're fragile and they need to be handled with care. 
It might mean that they're just feeling really ashamed of stuff. It might be that they're just feeling guilty of things. It may be that just life means they don't want everyone to know. And in that moment, we have to remember the body. And the body's this, that there are sometimes things that are going on. There's some parts of my body that I promise you, you're glad I don't expose. Because it would quickly get us a reputation. <laughs> and in it, now all of you are suddenly thinking, oh, I wish you'd never said that. This, <laughs> but I've done it for a point. The point's this, that actually in valuing some people at some points, it means that we protect them rather than expose them. We say actually the most loving thing we can do as a community is not talk widely about this, is actually to ensure those that need to know know, and they feel protected through this. As that means sometimes as a community we have to live with the tension that we won't always know everything. But we have to trust that people will. We have to also know that we don't use that thing of, like saying of, all right, someone's messed up, therefore everyone better know about it. No, 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 we're not going to live that way, are we? We're going to say, actually, at those moments where we know someone's done something that wasn't the, for their best or others' best, the moment we kind of close and say, let's not expose this, let's protect. So we stand with. The next thing Paul says in terms of building up is that we celebrate. Verse 26, if one part is honoured, every part rejoices in it. See, this is the reality. Because we're one body, we suddenly realise that actually it's not a competition. It isn't kind of a diminishing of others. It isn't saying, man, how do I compare to them? How do I compare to them? It isn't a dismissing of others. It isn't a kind of, uh, I don't, I'm nothing compared to them. It's actually a sense of, no, we're all together in this. Therefore, when something is worth rejoicing in, something that is worth celebrating in one person's life, we suddenly realize, actually, because we're all connected and belong together, we all get to celebrate in it. Because what is to be celebrated for them, I too get to share in that celebration. <coughs> and so we have to be good at committing to telling stories to one another. See, because we're all this bunch of people, and this is true for Oasis, because we're the kind of bunch of people that don't really like to blow our own trumpets, we don't like to make a big thing of anything, we tend to not really like to tell stories. Because you don't want anyone to think, man, what do they think of me if I do this? What they think is, this is to be celebrated. <laughs> we need to get better at sharing stories with one another. And the stories, generally, are beautiful, small stories, as Gus talked about a couple of weeks ago. That generally, the way it is with Jesus is that it will generally start small and grow big. And therefore, often what we get to share is just this beautiful, small story of something that's gone on in our life. And we get to share and say, and then the wonder is that God used this. Or the wonder is this is what I've learned from God. Or the wonder is this is what I got to reveal about God. And we all get to say, this is amazing. This is worth celebrating. So can I ask us to firstly, before we even look at how we're going to celebrate, can we start sharing stories with one another? Not because we think... I've told you to, but because we realize it's going to do us good. It will do us good as we celebrate the stories every single person in this room has to share. And at this point, someone's thinking, oh, no one would want to know that. Now, that's the whole point. Don't diminish it. Don't dismiss it. We want to hear it. It will do us good. Then once we hear it, we then need to get to that point of celebration. How do we celebrate? I felt challenged by this personally a month or so ago when Wendy Mann spoke. She said, we need to end the golf clap mentality. You know, the guys who stand, you know, with a hole, just done a hole, and all these guys stand there going, I could have done that. 
And no one could have done that. That was an amazing shot. And he's that moment of just coming, this is worth celebrating. Therefore, we do what we're going to do in ourselves. It doesn't mean we suddenly become something we're not. Because I think there becomes this danger at that point. We think, so I've got to kind of cringely stand up and pretend I'm, I'm kind of in the Apple store, welcoming people into an opening. I don't know if you've experienced that terror of walking into an Apple store and it just opens and everyone's high-fiving you and applauding you as you're walking. You, think, you don't even know who I am. Why are you doing this? This is unnatural. But rather, we suddenly realize that something within us thinks this is worth congratulating. This is worth celebrating in. And as I take this moment to celebrate, I want to celebrate in this individual and in the God who causes it to happen because of the grace on them. And therefore, I'm going to celebrate and give out of that point, which means for some of us, because of how we're wired, is we're going to be like loud and noisy. For others of us, we're going to be like, actually, I want to write something down because I want to give it to them in order they know how much this is meant to me. I think within our culture, one of the best ways we can do that is by just clapping and standing and saying, that is amazing. And when that happens, we have to too get good at receiving celebration. And I'm not great at this. But we have to get good at saying, in this moment, I receive what God you'd want me to receive. Have your celebration in what's going on as I live this life with you. And the celebration that's always about you. So we get good at celebrating. The last one's this, is that we also need to be good at building up through encouraging. See, if you like celebrating is reactive. It's a reaction to things that are good that are going on. Encouraging is proactive. It's actually looking out to build others up. So in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul doesn't mention it, but the writer of Hebrews does talk about encouragement. He says this in Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another daily. In other words, seek daily to find opportunities to build others up. That's what encouragement is. Now in that, I want to just briefly, because we're running out of time, talk about three S's that allow us to be good at building others up. The first one is to ensure that we're specific. Look for specific reasons we can look for and say, actually, this is what I want to build this person up in. I don't want to just kind of go up and say, do you know what, you're you're nice. Though that is a nice thing to be said. I want to look for specific things about that individual that I want to build them up in. We need to be specific. I've forgotten one of my S's, actually. I'm sorry, this doesn't often happen. But basically, you need to look for opportunities. That would be it. I don't know. I managed to summarize that in this, and I can't remember it. So you need to look and make the opportunity. You want to look for specific opportunities. You want to look for specific reasons you want to encourage someone and look for the opportunity of how you're going to say it to them. And then ultimately, you need to say it. Then you need to take a moment out and speak it or write it to give it to that person. And if you're going to speak it, look them in the eye. Because they won't like it. (laughs) But look it in the eye, because when you look someone in the eye, you're getting them to really listen to what you're saying. And in that moment, there's a deeper connection than me. If I'm just talking to Gus, say, do you know what, Gus? I really like it when you just... Uh, have those moments of just allowing us to feel lighter about who we are? Of you sometimes getting things when you're sharing about the news of what we're doing in the life of Oasis and then you kind of just triple off and you kind of say, well, you know, it's okay, we're all right with this. I love it how you just bring that sense of family amongst us. Now, if I say that like that, you're all thinking, that's nice about Gus. Gus is thinking, oh yeah, it's nice, who are you talking about? If I'd look at Gus and look him in the eye and say, Gus, I love it how you bring family to us. 
that suddenly as I'm looking in the eye, and often if you peer down on someone, it really helps. Um, As I'm looking in the eye, there is a deeper, better connection because Gus knows I'm talking to him. I'm not talking to Pete. So... Because for Pete, what I'd want to say is this. Pete, I think it is fantastic how you continuously live openly about your journey at the moment of understanding who God is as your father and how it's causing us to be transformed as you are being transformed. Because that's what I'd want to say to Pete. Now, see, you're starting to get it. You're because that's worth celebrating. Golf club. Is it a golf club or is it a bit more? Come on. Time doesn't allow me to go around everyone in the room. <laughs> It'd be fun, though, wouldn't it? Some of you think, I don't know. Um, building up, building in. When it comes to home, it needs every single one of us. That's the beauty of what the church is. It's never about one person apart from Jesus, because it's his body. And we get the privilege of being it together, understanding who we are as we add in who we are uniquely, what we can do uniquely. It causes the wonder of who Jesus is to be seen. As we build up one another, through standing with, through celebrating in, through encouraging, it causes us to see. Actually, we're not just any old bunch of people. We're Jesus on earth. And there becomes this integrity of who we are that characterizes the integrity of who Jesus was. Jesus was one who people flocked to be around, however messy their lives were, because there was something about him that drew them to him. I just wonder whether sometimes church could look a lot more messy and should look a lot more messy. Because if we truly are Jesus' body on earth, then people should be flocking to who we are, regardless of the state of their life. And yet somewhere along the line, There's been this lie sown that is, until your life gets in order, you can't get in. We need to break that and say we're about building a home that is fundamentally different. And to do that, we ask ourselves a question as we've done each week. How are we doing then? How are we doing in building in and building up in this moment of who we are as home together? On a scale of one to five, how are we doing? One being poor, five kind of, oh yeah, well in. What does it look like at the moment for us? That's our pause moment. Our center moment, what's the action therefore that we need to take to start building in more, to start building up more? And the continue is, what's the accountability we're going to be asking for? Who are the people we need around us to help us do what we want to do? Not as a way of saying, come on, work harder. Brother, come on, we're with this. We're on the journey together, aren't we? Which gets us to the point of then, what next? In a moment, we're going to get a moment to worship and just celebrate communion. But before we get there, I just want to highlight a little A5 card, a little business card. The point of this series hasn't been to get us to Christmas and think, oh yeah, yeah, that's a great way to end this kind of whole year of seeking to know what it was to pause, to centralize around God and then continue. Actually, the point of this series was actually to become a tool that we were to live with from this point on.
where we continuously live asking ourselves. It might be a daily rhythm, a weekly rhythm, a monthly rhythm, where we're asking ourselves, how are we doing on loving God, loving the world, loving home? And just being honest. Knowing it's not a competition, but just honest and saying, how am I doing on this? One to five. What action do I need to take? What accountability do I need? I want to encourage you and say, what is the next for you? How are you going to work this out? Is it going to be in your small group you're part of? Is it going to be with a group of people you're actively involved in, with Oasis? I don't know, maybe you play Monday night football. Maybe you're in a street outreach team. Maybe um, you're in a worship band. Maybe uh, you serve tea and coffees. And what you want to say is actually with that group of people that you're connecting with, you say, actually, I want to kind of meet together once every so often and ask ourselves, how are we doing on this? Maybe it's not that. Maybe it's just you think, actually, there's this bunch of friends that rather than just connect every so often with and just see how life is, we're going to purposely connect and say, how are we doing on this? My deepest plea for all of us is let's not end 2014 thinking, yeah, poor center continue. Let's end 2014 thinking, man, 2015, this is what my life's going to look like. Because I know by the end of 2015, if I've lived a year saying, what does it look like to love God, love the world, love home? Fundamentally, I am going to look different. Fundamentally, we are going to look different. Fundamentally, those we come into contact with will look different.